0: Almighty God, grant us a steadfast faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, a cheerful hope in your mercy, and a sincere love for you and for one another, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, does everybody have a handout? I printed more this week um, in order to make up for last week, Um, but so now I also, it may appear that I did all kinds of extra work by having a second handout when, in fact, this is just the second half of the handout we didn't get through last week. So don't have any illusions about, about, about all kinds of extra work going on here. So um, let's do this. Um, are there any questions to, to start? Oh, the, the baskets. Um, DuPage pads uh, is where the money in the baskets will go to. Lindsay just told me, described to me this morning her, her method for where, where the money is going to go, and this is really helpful. So she's thinking we'll give some money, some, like, like we do on the screens when we write up, where the money's going for outreach, something local, something in the Chicago area, something international. So this is, today is something something local, all right? Two-page pads. Any questions about uh, stuff we talked about last week? Um, you know what? We need Bibles, too. Oh, boy. I just realized that. Can, I can, thank you, fellas, for making that happen. While they're handing out Bibles, let's, talk, let's review really quickly. Um, last week, we went through Genesis 1. And um, we saw some structure in the way that the, the, the seven days of creation are ordered. And if you were going to summarize, if you were going to say what the one, the one takeaway is from Genesis 1 through 2, verse 4, what is the takeaway? Perfect. Okay. It, okay. So, oh, good. Okay. So, it was perfect. Um, and what was perfect, Wayne? What God created. Creation. Okay. That's very good. Um, that, that's a very good, that's an excellent answer. Um, creation was perfect. Um, and, and God says that about everything that he made. But when we're presented with the, the way in which he made it and the way that it's described, there's something more going on. What is that something more? What else do we learn um, in, in Genesis 1 about creation? Okay, so when he, when he created, he said, let there be light, let there be um, an expanse, let there be land, right? And then when he got to the creation of man, he said, what? Do you remember? Let, let us make. Now, that was one of the, one of the features um, that points, points uh, to an important fact. And what's the important fact? That's right. It's for us. Creation was for us, and man, humanity, um, was, is the pinnacle of creation. It's, it's, the, it's the whole point. The whole point was leading to um, the creation of man. So creation was perfect, but um, more importantly, man was perfect. And all of creation was ordered for the benefit, for the good of man. Remember we saw that on the third day of creation when God filled the land with all kinds of good things. For man, right? Vegetation, plants, right? And Luther talked about it. He said, isn't it extraordinary that all of these things which are for our benefit God has put here um, on on land, all right? So, um, last week I said there were two, there are two main things to take away from Genesis 1 through 3. The first thing is, is precisely this. Um, And and perhaps a better way to, or the the way I I, I want to say it is, um, man is the, is the The pinnacle of creation. Humanity is the pinnacle of creation. Okay? And under that, you can say all kinds of things. Like, all of creation was ordered for the benefit of man. Um, God had in in mind the best for humanity when he created the world. And um, and humanity is like God, um, created in his likeness, in his image. Okay? Which, uh, Which sets... Uh, humanity on um, in in a different in a different category than the rest of creation. Okay, so we'll say humanity. <coughs> You're a little late there. Uh, doesn't count if you say it after the fact. <laughs> so humanity is the pinnacle of creation, and um, specifically if we're talking about uh, the patriarchs, which is helpful to refer. Back to that occasionally. We'll, call it, we'll, we'll talk about humanity, especially in terms of Adam. Okay? So Adam, when God created Adam, was, he was the pinnacle of creation. All right. Do you remember, do you, by chance, remember what I said, the second important thing uh, about Genesis 1-3? We didn't talk about it much, so if you don't remember, that's okay. Um, but do you, do you... Good. Then this will be brand new. Fantastic. We'll, we'll, we'll jump right in. <laughs> so... <clears throat> In terms of form, in terms of the way that, the, that creation is presented, we need to turn now to Genesis chapter 2. Um, do you have a Bible in front of you? If you don't have a Bible, will you raise your hand? Um, John, could, uh, John or Dave, could you help out? We need a few Bibles over here. Thank you very much. So now, um, Genesis chapter 2 uh, deals with... Um, well, it's, it's, it's centered on, in reality, the fall into sin. Um, but the premise is everything that came before, Genesis 1. And actually, let me, let me just read to you this first quotation. You see, I put those helpful numbers in the margin this time around in the, on your handout. Quotation number one, this is Luther talking about how, uh, how good creation is and how God has cared for creation in this way. So he says, after God has finished his works, he speaks to the cust- after the custom of one who has become tired, the seventh day of creation. As if he wanted to say, Behold, I have prepared all things in this best way. The heaven I have prepared is a roof. Remember, creation is a house built for man. The earth is a flooring. The animals with all the appointments of the earth, the sea and the air are the possessions and wealth. Seeds, roots, and herbs are the food. Moreover, he himself, the Lord of these, man, has been created. He is to have knowledge of God, and with the utmost freedom from fear, with justice and wisdom, he is to make use of the creatures as he wishes. According to his will, nothing is lacking. Okay. Now, uh, we'll pause there for just a second. That That is key, um, and this is, Wayne, it was you who said it was good. It was perfect, right? It turns out that that was, I mean, be, that, that for Adam and Eve, um, believing that was was difficult, and the, 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 the temptation that they faced was to doubt. Precisely that, that it was perfect, that nothing was lacking. And we'll find out why in just a bit. Luther goes on, All things I have created in greatest abundance for physical life, therefore I shall keep a Sabbath. All these good things have for the most part been lost through sin, Luther says, and we who have kept hardly a shadow of that realm are today like a corpse of the first human being. Or shall we not say that he has lost everything who became mortal after being immortal, a sinner after being righteous, a condemned man after being welcome and well-pleasing? So we go from perfection to utter imperfection, right? Um, for now, man is a mortal and a sinner. But if these, things, if these thoughts do not move us to hope and longing for the coming day and the future life, nothing could move us. And, that, and there Luther is pointing ahead to what comes yet in Genesis 1 through 3. So, now on to Genesis chapter 2. Um, if you're going to divide this up into sections, um, Genesis 1 through 2, verse 3 is a section. And then we begin a new section in Genesis 2, verse 4. And this is a sort of a, a typical way um, that, that Genesis is written. So it says, note, note the first phrase, these are the generations. This happens all throughout Genesis. These are the generations of Noah. These are the generations of Abraham. These are the generations of Isaac, right? Well, here, these are the generations of the heavens and earth, when they were created. It's the beginning of a new section, a new description of the heavens and the earth. And there's a really helpful um, there's a really helpful way to, to visualize what happens next. And You'll see this in number two on your page. This is, it's it's a, such a helpful um, uh, way of dividing up uh, what, what comes next because it, it parses it into manageable sections. So you see that there are seven scenes that take place between 2, verse 5, and three twenty-four. Everybody has this in front of you, right? So I don't need to write this on the board, right? Okay. Now, y- you'll notice, um, you'll, if you look at that, do you notice, um, what kind of patterns do you notice? And Na- okay, so let's start with narrative and dialogue. If, if you were following the, if you were looking at the pattern of narrative, narrative and dialogue, where, does it, where is your attention drawn to? The middle, right? Okay. Um, the sa- how about when you see the description of who's involved, the characters in the story? Where's your attention drawn? The middle, okay. Um, and this is this is characteristic. I'll just this is when you're reading the Old Testament, look for this form. I think I've talked I've talked about this before. Look for this form where something comes at the beginning and it's repeated at the end. The next thing is repeated just before the end, right? It's a, a chiasm. Um, it's, it's a palistrophic structure. So you go A, B, C, B prime, A prime. Everybody on board there? Okay. So you see that happening here. And what that does is it draws your attention to the middle. Now, notice what this, this author, Gordon Wenham, who's a commentator on Genesis, notice what he says about scene four. We're going we're gonna to come back to this um, as we go through these scenes, but notice what he says about scene four. Scene four stands apart from the rest of the narrative. And this is where the man and the woman are alone together in the garden. Okay? Um, we'll talk about that in just a second. Here the human actors are alone. Neither God nor the serpent is mentioned. They are now at the heart of the garden, standing before the tree of knowledge. It is here that the woman decides to follow the snake's advice and ignore the divine command. And likewise, the man accepts the fruit proffered by his wife in defiance of, his, of, the, will, of the divine will. The hierarchy of authority established in scene two and reaffirmed in scene five is overturned. God, man, woman, animal in scene two becomes inverted. Snake, woman, man, God in scene four. The order of creation is totally inverted. Not only is the scene the centerpiece of the narrative, but listen to this. We'll we'll look at this more carefully. The crucial words, and he ate, okay, so and he ate the fruit, are themselves sandwiched between a twofold mention of the desired effects of the fruit, its ability to open our eyes and to give knowledge. So even in, within scene four, there's this, there's this chiastic structure, this palistrophic structure. And the very center of that is the crucial moment, and he ate. Okay? Um, we'll, take a, we'll take a closer look at that as we get there. For now, let's take a look at scene number one. Okay? And here we have to do some reading. Scene number one takes place in verses 5 through 17, of Genesis chapter 2. And if you look at that description, you see that God is the, the sole actor. Man is present, but he is passive in this scene. Okay? Verse 5, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small, small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. So creation wasn't complete until God did this, right? And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant into the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided. It became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It was the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon, the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying... You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now this is not the first thing that God has said to man. Turn back in your um, in your Bibles to uh, verses twenty-eight, verse twenty-eight of uh, chapter one. This is the first thing that God says that God says to man: be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing. And then he says, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Now, if you, so food is clearly very important, right? If you were going to describe what it's like for Adam eating in the Garden of Eden, how would you describe it? What's it like? Paradise. Say that again. Paradise. Paradise okay. Abundance. Abundance. I'm looking for a specific word. You're so close. It's a, sumptuous a, a sumptuous feast. Oh, perfect. Okay. I, the sum, sumptuous is a great adjective, and, and it's, it perfectly describes feast. Right. So for Adam, it was a feast, um, and it's no small thing. It's no trivial matter that God's first concern with Adam is feasting, all right? And then it's, that, then it's not surprising to us that our first concern in the church is feasting, right? That the, that the center of our life is the feast, the high feast, the great high feast of the Lamb who was slain, right? That food, sustenance, a sumptuous feast is central, okay? So note, note, note carefully, this was, the, this was the first word that God spoke to Adam. Look, here's a feast, okay? But now, listen to the second word. We just heard it at the end of scene one. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, if you were going to describe what it's like not eating, what's a word that you would use to describe that? Okay. Not to the point of death. A fast. Okay. So here already in in the Garden of Eden, we have... Both a feast and a fast. Carol gets bonus points today. Way to go, Carol. We have a feast and a fast. And <coughs> excuse me. And this is the way God designed God designed the world to work from the beginning. Because it's not as though Adam uh, as though paradise was a place where there was no um, where there was no distinction between hard work and rest. In fact, we see that we see this in the way God creates the world, right? God takes a break. He, he, has, he has his rest from all of his labors. And the same thing tr- is true of man. Now, there's a feast for man, but part of, that, part of in- enjoying that feast is enduring this fast, right? Not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, take a look at what Luther says. This is quotation now number four on page two in your handout. And we might think, as Adam did... Uh, down the road, we might think this is, this sounds an awful lot like um, the word, the commandment of a tyrannical God, right? God, a God who just wants to have his way, a God who wants to um, keep this sort of, keep, keep, thing, keep Adam under his thumb by saying, well, you can have all these things except, except for this one thing, right? But what does God say about that one thing? What happens if Adam eats that tree from that fruit? he 's going to die it 's not, not that he doesn't want him to have this good thing it's that he wants him to have it he, he, want, he wants him to have only things that are good for him right and if eating that fruit is going to be bad for him, then he doesn't want him to do it here 's what Luther says. Here the Lord is preaching to Adam and setting the word before him, although the word is short, it is nevertheless worth our spending a little time on it. For if Adam had remained in innocence, this preaching and here he 's talking about God's words regarding the, tree of, the trees of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just these simple words. Eat of every tree except for this one. This preaching would have been like a Bible for him and for all of us. And we would have had no need for paper, ink, pens, and that endless multitude of books which we require today, although we do not attain a thousandth part of that wisdom which Adam had in paradise. This brief sermon, which would have, would have brought to its conclusion the whole study of wisdom, It would have shown us, as if written on a tablet, the goodness of God who created this nature without those familiar inconveniences which followed later on because of sin. But it is useful to note that God gave Adam word, worship, and religion in its barest, purest, simplest form in which there was nothing laborious, nothing elaborate, for he does not prescribe the slaughter of oxen, the burning of incense, vows, fastings, or other tortures of the body. Only this he wants, that he praise God, that he thank him, that he rejoice in the Lord, and that he obey him by not eating from the forbidden tree. Okay? So it's all it's all good and for his good. Bruce. Uh, in, in, this, in this story,
1: we know that, uh, that uh, Moses down. Okay? Yeah. Uh, and Martin Luther talks about the thousands of the, you know, knowledge of what we know Adam had. When God told him you would die, there was no death at that point. Right. I mean, I think that's probably why Animals were eaten because, in order for them to eat animals, they would have had to die. So, without the animals in order you don't eat. You don't eat animals. Eat plants. Plants don't die. You can always. They keep renewing and keep growing and keep providing what you need to eat. On that, does Adam? Does Adam
0: understand what death really means when God tells him? Death? This is a fantastic question, and this really bears heavily. On what comes what comes later. So. There are two different ways to think about death, and so um, let me just start by saying, it's it's not explicit in Genesis one through three that there is no such thing as death. Right? We don't know whether the animals died or not. It doesn't say. Okay. Now, now with that and bearing that in mind, there are two different kinds of death. Right? The world usually regards the death of a person as a natural thing. Right? We're we're mortal creatures. we're going to die. it's going to happen. And in regarding it as this natural thing, it simply has to do with our flesh, has to do with the disintegration of our flesh,? Right? So at some point, our, my heart's going to stop beating, and this biological thing is going to stop working, right? Now that's one kind of death. Um, and Adam may or may not have been familiar with that, and I don't, we don't know whether or not he was familiar with that. Um, in terms of animals dying or even plants dying, right? Um, there, there may have been a life cycle for plants. But the, the, the other kind of death which Adam, you know, didn't understand the magnitude of is the death which separates you from God, right? The death which destroys your relationship with God. And this is what we often, uh, which, what we often take far too lightly and which, which the world, um, again, ignores when it talks about death as a natural thing. For us, death, the death of our bodies, is not simply the death of our bodies, right? It's not just that, um, uh, that, that, this, that this machine stops working. It's that this creature, which God created in his image, is now suffering the consequences of no longer being in his image, no longer being like God, right? And it's suffering the consequences of a relationship between um, humanity and God that's been shattered, Okay, so it's important to think about death in those two different ways. Now, I agree. I think Bruce, you're right that um, that Adam may not have un- understood the full implications of of uh, death, but it, uh, in terms of like being separated from God. But what he what uh, to use the vocabulary, um, he he knows that it's unnatural for for man to die. So it must be it must be because just as it's unnatural for God to die, right?
1: That's the, the word for sin is separation from God, and Sin comes with the separation from God that causes that Right. you think that in, in because there's in the Hebrew there are two different
0: distinct words. Right, right. That they don't use it there. That's
1: why I, they use specifically God.
0: Right. And and, and so and, and so what what we're talking mm-hmm. about is the consequence of the sin, right? Yeah. Marianne. And
1: then you don't feel the joy.
0: Right. Precisely. Right. Um if... And this is what Luther talks... This is what, what Luther said. Um, if you think of, of death as merely... As simply... As, as tragic as it may be... As simply the loss of your... Um, of, of your natural life... Um, then it's not nearly as tragic... As the loss of your... Eternal spiritual life. Right? A life which is... Which, in which uh, you ought to be related to God... In terms of likeness and image... And uh, divine love. Right? D- divine self-giving. Um, and if you have a glimpse of of attaining that again, of regaining that, right? Regaining this immortality, which is not just, again, not just my body's gonna endure forever, but it's an immortality that God himself enjoys, right? It's the immortality of God Himself, then, then we can be then at funerals we're eminently hopeful because um, we can say it was unnatural that this that this person died, um, but just as it was unnatural for God to die, uh, God rose from the dead, and so will this person. Well, we get, oh, this is fantastic. Rich,
1: <laughs> <laughs> we—what
0: uh, we believe is not ex- is not explicitly uh, laid out because the Bible doesn't say, right? I, I'm partial to um, a theory which suggests that um, that uh, at some point God would have God would have said. Um, Adam, you are—you have matured to the point where eating the eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is um, is now for you, right? So the the feast, the fast would have culminated in a feast. That's pure speculation. Okay. <laughs> uh, now on the internet for perpetuity, but uh, but uh, uh, but but I, it's, it's a, I think it's an, I think it's an interesting way to to, to look at it, Jim. There were two: life and the knowledge of good and evil.
1: Yeah. How old was Adam? I
0: don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't. I, I don't know. The, now, that's, the, now So the, these are these are, um, it's, these are really good questions um, that uh, are 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 useful to reflect on because. Um, it, it bears on how we understand Adam's relationship to God. Okay, so the, the the question of his physical age is perhaps less important than the question of his of his maturity, right? So um, he was made in God's image and likeness, but just like Jesus, who grew in wisdom and stature, isn't it likely that Adam grew in wisdom? Would have grown in wisdom and stature, right? Okay, so I don't know the answer, but that's but that's but I suspect that that. Um, Adam was was created in some to some degree immature, and was going to grow to maturity, right? Okay, Karen, hang on. Sorry, was Karen? Go ahead. Well, kind
1: of to which point, and then um, what I find amazing, and I can't quite wrap my mind around it, is that um, in chapter one it says, "Let us create man," and that refers back to the Trinity, right? Yes. So what I find so amazing is that God must have known that, that Adam and Eve were going to sin because the Savior is included in the Trinity, yet he created man and woman anyway and that, that love that is shown all the way through Scripture is shown right there at the very beginning.
0: It precedes the fall. Exactly. Um, so there you, there you, you, um, I mean, you bring out a remarkable point, which is that God's plan to save humanity is, doesn't start with man's fall into sin because, I mean, of course God knows, knows everything. The question of why God did it anyways is not one that we're ever going to be satisfied with, except perhaps unless you say, um, as, 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 as has occasionally been said, that... Um, you know God's God's character is most is most vividly shown in His mercy. So, um, He's here. He here. He has an opportunity to be merciful to His people. Um, but but anyways, you're right. God's plan God's plan um, is there from the from the very beginning, even before He creates man, even before man falls into sin. Okay, Marianne. One. This is I, we got got Okay. So Marianne, one more thing here.
1: maybe when he basically gave Adam, he, you know, it was to a point where, okay, you know, now he has like this woman in his life, you know, like as all of us, is like family members, you know, oftentimes we go astray and come back, go astray, come back. And it winds up that, you know, he, he, he basically gave Adam and Eve free choice at that point to,
0: yeah, the, I mean, so now we, we always have to be sort of cautious. Um, you're, you're, right, you're right in that um, God's love for Adam in creating him like himself in, includes the, the capacity to make, to, to, to choose whether or not to eat the fruit, right? Um, but we do, ha- we, do make, uh, we do draw a sharp distinction between, w- the analogies between our lives today, post-lapsarian, after the fall, and our lives before the fall, Adam and Eve's lives before the fall. Those analogies sort of run into a they, they run into a, a problem um, because we can't we can't imagine what it was like. And moreover, moreover, um, uh, I, these questions are are fascinating, um, but we're bound to speculation, right? Because because we have we have only what we have only what God tells us in 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 scripture. Okay, all right, here let's go. Um, there's a quotation about fasting and feasting. That's number five. I won't read that to you. Um, but it, it describes... Uh, Peter Lightheart holds that position that, uh, that, that someday Adam would have eaten the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and it's, and he, it's an interesting quotation. But again, um, let, this, let this inform how you understand um, what we do in the church. This is not something... like the, the, the notion of food being central to how God deals with people is not something new that happens in the new testament or with jesus or with the jews uh, or israel <coughs> excuse me it's something that it's the way god deals with his people from the very beginning okay all right now scene number 2 verse 18 now i'm going to have to i think i'm just going to let's see what there's a diversity of times on on my clock here and up there so i'm going to go with my phone if that's all right with everybody here okay <laughs> So I got 1029. Okay. Scene number two. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the, living, to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, and uh, Luther, said, Luther says, you could hear how excited he is, how joyful he is. This at last, right? Uh, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Kind of like, as I imagine, the joy of God in creating humanity, right? Somebody a creature in his likeness. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now this is really important. That verse verses 24 and 25 um th- those verses appear um in the gospels when Jesus talks about marriage. In fact, um uh I'm going to preach about this on October 4th, so come to church on October 4th. It's going to be, because uh, the, the, the text is Mark chapter 10, where Jesus talks about um, how God joins man and woman together, therefore, they shouldn't be separated, right? Um, now, what's really interesting here, uh, uh, among the things, how, you, maybe you remember this, um, how does it go in the marriage rite? Um, we say to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, from this time forward, in sickness and health, and for rich or for poor, wh- how does it end? Right. Okay. So there's this really remarkable thing about the marriage promise, which is, um, in some ways, the most honest promise of all the promises we make. Because, um, in marriage, we acknowledge the condition of death. Right. So we say, I I can keep this promise, or I, I'm going to try and keep this promise, but I know that there's going to be there's going to come an end to it. Now there are all kinds of other ways that that promise comes to an end, just like there are all kinds of ways that other promises come to an end. It turns out that we are promise-making people and promise-breaking people all the time. That's sort of like you can think of, like, that's, that's the paradigm for how we live our lives. We, we say things, that, and then we don't do them, okay? Um, it's, <laughs> my kids are like that, too. So, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> um, it, it, so but, but in none of the things that we promise, do we ever say, I promise, you know, uh, in, in friendship or you know, I, I promise to do this till death, till death does me in. Right? We don't, so we don't say that, but we acknowledge it in marriage. And so, in some sense, in the marriage promise, it's, the, it's more, it's more honest than any other promise. But notice that that condition is not here in Genesis chapter two, at the end of Genesis chapter two. Right? They're joined together for, for perpetuity. Right? In it, all, to, there's no condition on it. There's no condition on leaving his father and mother and, and, and binding himself to his wife, okay? Um, there's a quotation I want to read for you uh, from a, a theologian named Robert Jensen. He, um, he says this. Uh, this is quotation number six, page three. And this is just uh, summarizing what I've just said. There is, however, something wrong with the promises we make to each other, which is perhaps why many are now so re- reluctant to make any. Our promises have hidden conditions. If any promise is apparently unconditional, it is the marriage promise. Uh, this is just why I guess I could have just read him. So, um, Yet I cannot really guarantee in advance that no act of my spouse could break my commitment. The fundamental condition in all our promises is death. I cannot be held to a promise if keeping it will kill me. Nor is this a selfish condition. If I am dead, what good am I to anyone, especially to the recipient of my promise? And we see this, we see the the reality of this. Um, David does this all the time in the Psalms. He brings this plea before God, and I love, he does it um, nice and in a very concise way in Psalm 6. He says, um, uh, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death, there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? If I die... What good? What good are these? these the, the the promises that I've made to be, to, to have you as my God and you have me as your as your child, right? In death, what good is that, right? Death is the condition, the, the terminus for that promise. All that is to say, here, in the beginning, in at the at, in, when when marriage was instituted, there was no such condition. Okay, um, and what we see when death comes on the picture is, um, is is the introduction of that condition, which. Which tempers our lives um, from beginning to end. Now, okay. Any questions, Dave?
1: Yeah. As I'm reading, reading this, uh, I have, have the sense that uh, what we're talking about—eating you know, the fruit, dying, mm-hmm. and living—they well, were naked and not ashamed. Yeah. It uh, strikes me that uh, the original perfection of mankind was, uh, what shall we say, full disclosure of ourselves to God, nothing being hidden, mm-hmm. and, and um, living in the relationship where we live according to God's wisdom and not our own. Yes. And uh, in that death, we see a death not of an individual or a biological individual, but rather of a kind of creation we become something other than the perfect
0: perfect creation. That's right. That's right. And um, it, it, I won't read the the next quotation on the page read that in your own time but this is this is how this is how we now understand love, right? So um, we're talking so much about the fall before we get there but it's okay. It's, now you'll it'll all just flow through when we when we get there. But um, love Uh, love is best understood in terms of the way God, God relates, um, the the persons of the Trinity relate to themselves, right? So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist in this relationship which is perfect love, divine love. And it's characterized by perfect self-giving, okay? So, the Father, or the Son, perfectly submits to his Father's will, right? Uh, Not my will, but thine be done, right? Um, And, Uh, that is the definition of love from the beginning. Now, when um, we fall into sin and we as humans are incapable of loving like that anymore, um, living in perfect love, something has to happen. In fact, the definition of love uh, now changes in some sense. So that now the definition of love is not just perfect self-giving, but it is uh, self-giving through death, into resurrection, right, which we only see, which is, which is, which is first of all, um, uh, only possible when Jesus does it, right? So apart from Jesus' death and resurrection, we have no idea what love is, okay? Unless Jesus dies and rises from the dead, we're, we're clueless about what love really looks like. And not only that, now that Jesus has died and risen from the dead, um, we see love, and he gives us that love. So this prayer, the post-communion collect, uh, we uh, that that we may in, in increase in in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another. It's not just a it's not just a as Luther described, sort of um, mindless prayers. It's not like throwing rocks up at a pear tree hoping that a pear falls down. Um, it's it's a prayer that's founded in the fact that the reality that God promises to give us to fill us with His love. Okay, so now. Uh, um, as Christians, as baptized Christians who have the Holy Spirit, we have um, not just this sort of uh, this shadow of love, which ends in death, but we have, we we are heirs of a love which which persists through death and into life. Okay, um, and that's and that's really what the gospel is all about, right? The story is death and resurrection. Okay, and that's how we understand love. Let's let's uh, let's cruise along here. Um, I want to. Um, Scene number, what scene are we on here? Scene three is brief. And here we have the actors, the serpent and the woman, right? And you know how this goes. Um, the, the serpent says, verse, chapter three, verse one. Did God actually say, you shall not eat any tree of, in the garden? And it, it, um, if, you think about, uh, if you think about temptation as uh, precisely that kind of a statement, did God actually say, um, it sheds, it casts light on, on every kind of temptation we face, right? And our, um, the way that we justify our own, our own missteps, our own transgressions, right? We say, well, did God really, did he mean it that, like that? You know, did he, did he really say? Um, and the woman, uh, Eve, doesn't, she doesn't quite get it right. In fact, she becomes pharisaical. She says, well, God, God said we may eat from every tree of the garden, but we may not even touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And When she says that, you get this—you get this sense that she's she's suspicious of God, right? Um, well, he he doesn't even want me to—he he wants to keep this good thing from me, so that he doesn't even want me to touch it, right? Um, and and so the serpent plays off of that uh, perfectly. You won't die. God doesn't want you to be like him, so eat it and be like him, Karen. So the
1: suspicion is really first sin.
0: It's. It's the temptation to sin, okay. And this is this. Is, I mean, so this whole scene, scene three, is the temptation that leads to the act that is um, that that is the, the fall into sin. Okay. So they don't disobey the command until they in fact eat. All right. Um, but but they they have the, they have they have free minds, right? Um, and uh, the serpent is is playing on that freedom here. Okay. So then look at, look at scene four. Um, and you can see how it's centered on, and he ate. So, um, when the woman saw that, the, this is verse six, three verse six. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. So, it's good for food, delight to the eyes, desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then their eyes were opened, right? It was a delight to their eyes made them wise, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Okay? So at the center of that, it, it was in fact a delight to the eyes, and it was good for good for eating uh, as far as they were concerned. And at the center of that is, and they ate. Okay, So there it is. And, and the, I, I, uh, I haven't, in, Somebody once described it to me this way, and I haven't been able to shake the picture, which I think is really a brilliant description of it. So if you, if you start at the very beginning, creation is Sort of this, uh, the spirit hovering over the waters, right? It's chaotic. So if you can imagine, um, uh, imagine in your head a, uh, a piece of music, an orchestral piece of music, um, where all the instruments are tuning up, right? It doesn't, there's no order to it. The instruments are tuning up, right? Then creation begins, and um, it's harmonious, right? It's, it's consonant. It's beautiful, um, and it's uh, it, and it's and and everything is good. All you know, every 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 scene, every every uh, every every phrase is is perfectly perfectly formed. And then you come along, and you get here to uh, the the fall. The music is a little bit foreboding in scene chapter three, right? But then, when uh, with the and he ate, the music cuts out altogether, because it's at that point. That um, it's at that point that the relationship is severed, right? Um, man is no longer man has man has given up the image that he was in which he was originally created. Um, I, it's a, I, it's, I can't remember who described it to me that way, but it it, it I think it's a, a great description of it. Um, and if you can picture, if he, uh, I, maybe somebody we have a lot of musicians here, maybe somebody can write that piece of music. That'd be that okay. Did it, okay? Well then. You don't have to do it, musicians who are here. (laughs) I'll listen to it. (laughs) Okay, uh, we have two more minutes. I'm going to just say one more thing. And that is, look at this. um, Verse 15. So it's been pretty bad news up to this point. And God finds, you know how the story goes. God finds Adam and Eve. um, They hide from him. uh, But he he finds them nonetheless. And he asks them and they they confess. um, And he curses the serpent and he says, to, he curses the man, and, um, but he gives this promise. Verse 15, we call, this, we call this the first instance of the gospel, okay? Which is important because um, it's, not, it, it, it's important for us just like God is present in, his, in the second person of the Trinity. The Son of God is present from the very beginning. So also is this promise of salvation. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman. between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So he, in the first one, he, the the offspring of the woman, shall bruise you, your, the serpent's head, and you, the serpent, shall bruise his heel, right? So the picture is is pretty clear, right? The serpent's going to strike the Son of God's heel, and he's going to suffer. And it's only through that suffering that that he's going to actually bru- bruise, crush the head of the, of the serpent, okay? Um, this, this sets up uh, um, the, the, the paradigm for the, the rest of the story, right? Death and resurrection, right? Suffering and resurrection, okay? Um, one last thing. I said that once already. One more thing. Verse 22. This is really important. Um, it's it's tempting to think that um, that death is uh, death is sort of a is is a is a, a consequence to sin which is outside of God's control, right? So God God set the set the rules, and then he set, let, let the ball go rolling. Man broke the rules, and so of course he's going to get what he asked for. Um, it's not true. Um, when, when man sins, he suffers God's wrath, right? God, is, God doesn't take sin lightly. Um, and in fact, it is God who is the agent of man's death, right? And we see that here. This is really hard. This is really hard for us to, to, to bear, but it's also very important for us to understand as we, um, as we see why it's so important for Jesus to die on the cross at the hands of, of, of God, right? Right? Verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden. Right? So he sent him out in order that he would die. Okay? So he's, he, death is the, is, is not just sort of the natural consequence of sin, but it is the, it's the punishment for sin. Okay? All right? All right? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Thank you very much.